Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of Catfish Corner. I'm John Garcia, joined by Adam Vingen and Joe Rexrode. Gentlemen, let's not waste any time. We had a, a very controversial goalie interference call. Adam, what did you get a sense for the Preds, and uh, why don't you walk us through what happened last night? Well, first of all, I think we should have replaced our normal introduction music with either the X-Files theme or the Twilight Zone theme, because this <laughs> is going to be a conspiracy theory-based program today. Oh, I love it. But to your question, John, when I first saw this play happen in real time, when I looked up, I wasn't even looking at potential goal and tender interference. My first inclination was to look to see if the puck crossed the line in time, which it did. And I thought once that happened, that it was going to be a good goal. What I thought was interesting, which also built the suspense a little bit, was that Tim Peel's microphone wasn't working. So I couldn't hear what he was saying when he stepped away from the scores table to issue the announcement. I just saw him wave his hands to signal no goal, and I was shocked. Goaltender interference had not even crossed my mind at all. But then the league sent out its usual notice to explain its decision, which took a little bit longer than usual this time than it usually does. And, and the league explained that they believed that Victor Arvidsson deliberately pushed Roberto Luongo. And that push created the spin that you saw Luongo make that freed the puck that allowed Philip Forsberg to tap it in. So they determined that Victor Arvidsson made deliberate contact with Roberto Luongo. And this is really the issue that the NHL has had all season long. They've struggled to find any sort of consistency in making goaltender interference calls. If I recall correctly, there was one earlier this season where James Neal literally broke his stick over Connor Hellebuck's face, and they still called it a goal on the ice. Yeah. You never really know what it's going to be with this situation, and it, it, it is sort of concerning that we're about to enter the Stanley Cup playoffs, which start in a week, a week from today, and we're still having this issue. Even after the NHL spent the time at the GM's meetings recently to change the rule, so that the situation room has the final call on goaltender interference and that there's going to be a a retired official in the room to help consult on these calls. And yet we saw what we saw last night. And Philip Forsberg is a mild-mannered individual. That is the angriest I've seen him. And he wasn't seething, but he was was not holding back his feelings. And, And I'm sure many of the of our listeners have seen his comments. He was not pleased. As you might expect, Peter Laviolette said, and we can talk about this as well, that they felt that Keith Yandel, who was jostling with Victor Arvidsson in the crease, initiated contact with Arvidsson, which nudged Arvidsson into Luongo. And under the rules of the NHL, if the attacking player, if the defending player makes contact with an attacking player, and the attacking player then hits the goalkeeper, that's not goaltender interference. As long as the the attacking player makes an effort to not commit goaltender interference. It should have been, in my opinion, a goal on the ice. And Joe, you just wrote a column about this, and you said that the only way you can defend this call is if you were either working for the NHL or carrying the NHL's water or something along those lines. You and I have talked about goaltender interference plenty of times in the past, as have you and Adam. How wrong did the NHL get this? What are your What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all agree that they were wrong. And again, like, there was a lot of, 
when I wrote this, there are a lot of things about it. I, you know, I've seen still photos from fans on Twitter. You know, here's the puck over here. He never has the puck. There's video. You, you can look at Roberto Luongo's reaction, which is like, you know, they scored. That sucks. Let's yeah, go to overtime. That's the biggest thing. I mean, there's all these things, but but I think as Adam mentioned, if you go by the letter of the law and the contact Yandel made with Arvidsson, then I think you even all that stuff doesn't even matter. Like. I, I'm with you, Adam. Watching on TV, and it's funny because my TV cut out with a minute left and then came back on like right as that was happening because of the storms last night. The announcers on the television, also um, Willie Donick and Chris Mason, they weren't even talking about that as a possibility. It was all about did it get in it? it yeah, okay, it's in. And then when they call goaltender interference, it's like wait, what? And then you look back, and I'm and I'm seeing some people today. Kevin Weeks, you know, works for the NHL.com. Former goaltender, yeah, former goaltender. So it's like, okay, this guy, maybe you, maybe he would err on the side of the goaltender. But still, plenty of other goaltenders have said this was a ridiculous call. I don't see how anyone can look at this and say, yeah, that's clearly goaltender interference. I don't see how anybody can look at this and 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 say anything, but that's clearly not goaltender interference. So. I, I, and then, then the question is, how? How, how did they botch it that badly? Yeah, and the question, I think that you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, is you can see where Arvidsson did get a stick on and did push Roberto Luongo. Granted, there have been other calls made in the past. Adam alluded to them where there has been way more contact and it's the goal has been allowed. Um, the question that we were asking is, would the puck have moved had Arvidsson not done anything to Luongo? I don't really know if you can answer that because it didn't look like it was secure and someone like Forsberg, who is right crashing on the net, could have gotten a stick in behind him and tucked the goal in anyway. So there's no consistency. I mean, goaltender interference, I think, is so hard to just pin down as like people want it to be black and white when it's really not because they're so there's the way that it's written. There's the way that the refs are interpreting it. There's the way that Toronto now is interpreting it. I don't think that there's any way that you can really get it to be black and white, but but it can't be this big of a range. No, not at all. Not at all. And uh, Adam, you mentioned that uh, Peter Laviolette said that they 100% disagreed with the call. Have you talked to anyone today as far as what they're saying? Because I know that a lot of Predators fans woke up still seething mad. Well, the Predators were saying the right thing. It was a tough loss last night, but they still find themselves in a good position. They still control their destiny. They can clinch the division as long as they win tomorrow night against the Washington Capitals. So it's really just pushing the potential clinching scenarios two days ahead. I've noticed it, and I think Joe actually tweeted this recently, I think it was during the game in Tampa, that the Predators have shown a knack this season for regrouping from tough losses or tough breaks and, and winning the following game. We saw it this past weekend. They had an absolute of the game against the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday night at Bridgestone Arena and traveled to Tampa in a very tough game against a desperate team like Tampa, who, who was leading the league for essentially the entire season and now may finish second in the Atlantic behind the Boston Bruins, even though Tampa had a big win against Boston last night. They went to, they went to Tampa against the league's highest-scoring team and held them to one goal. They were opportunistic. In the third period, they clamped down defensively. Tampa didn't get any good looks in an attempt to make a comeback. Philip Forsberg, of course, scored a, a ridiculous goal, and they got another insurance marker as well to make it 4-1, and that was the final. So you're hoping that you get that again from them against Washington, who's already placed the Metropolitan Division. They don't really have anything to play for. They're locked into the number two spot, I think, 
in the East because they're not going to catch Boston or Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. They're just looking to make sure that they're ready to go for the playoffs. The Predators should be doing the same. But they are in a position where as long as they win, they get what they want. And I think the Predators are going to be motivated to get it done. I think the fuel from what happened at the end of the game last night will certainly drive them against Washington. Yeah, and I wanted to go back to a point that you, Adam, made earlier and that Joe also made in his column, you know, cue the X-Files music and the conspiracies and everything like that. Uh, I opined on Twitter last night that this is the same league that couldn't even make a decision on keeping expansion draft protected lists secret, let alone are now somehow organizing this grand conspiracy to keep the Predators from winning, keeping the playoff races going a little bit longer. There's no conspiracy. The NHL is just inept. They've shown this time and time again that they are just sometimes bad at their jobs. Joe, you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, there's all these different levels. Like, I look at I swear it's like every six months I read a column about, like, the Titans after, like, Taylor Lewan this fall was like, the NFL hates us, you know, come on. I mean, big picture, the NHL loves the Nashville Predators, okay? The Nashville Predators are great for the NHL. Last year's run was great for the NHL. Gary Bettman has been on this train for a long time. So the idea that that, that there's some sort of bias against the Predators is beyond ridiculous. But, But then the smaller picture is, like you said, John, the... Someone just tweeted this at me. So I'll, probably just last night they were sitting there like, eh, it won't, won't hurt the Preds. So let's just, uh, we'll just say that this is a goaltender interference. And now the Panthers and Preds both have games that matter. We got more, uh, you know, content that matters this week. I mean, think about how flippant that is. And, and it, what's the payoff versus the risk? You're, you're, you're endangering your sport. I mean, if it's actually, you know, if something like that were to come out, you, you are endangering the existence of your league. Adam, you, your silence means you you agree with other conspiracies, Adam. That two-second pause. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is, what's interesting about this situation is Predators fans have been hurt by questionable calls before. Yes. Think about the offside call in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. Of course, we can think of the Game 6 call against Colton Sisson. Oh, yeah. That, in the deciding game of the Stanley Cup Final. The Predators have been on the wrong end of those iffy calls before. So when you see them on the wrong end of this one, and essentially in a lot of ways was a playoff game because the Panthers had to win to remain in contention for a playoff spot. They're the only Eastern Conference team that's not in a playoff spot that hasn't been eliminated from contention. And the Devils put a hurting on the Rangers earlier in the evening. So the Panthers had to win. If they lost, they were out, if I miss my math is right. No, you're correct. So so there's that. And the Predators, of course, we knew what was at stake for them, the Central Division and the Western Conference regular season title. So there was a lot to play for last night. So this wasn't just a, you know, a random game in mid-December in sunrise that nobody cares about. This was a very big game for both teams. So the Predators has certainly have not benefited from any of these iffy calls, it seems. And I think that's what maybe gets Predators fans upset. Now, I agree with Joe. There is no conspiracy theory against the Nashville Predators. I think the fact that they were in the Stanley Cup final was a significant success for the league in terms of showing a quote-unquote non-traditional market. It can be incredibly, incredibly successful. You know, I can't imagine that whoever was in the Situation Room last night 
you know, had an axe to grind against the national players. Because really, who has an axe to grind against the national players? They aren't the Chicago Blackhawks. This isn't the New York Yankees or the New England Patriots. It's the national players. This is not the Slate Gate or Spy Gate or whatever other gate, whatever gate the, uh, the Patriots have found themselves in over the years. It has nothing to do with that. It's just been a, a string of unfortunate incidents that have plagued the national predators. But you hope, you really, really hope that the, that the NHL will get its stuff together before the playoffs start next week. But history shows that's unlikely. So you're saying that Dennis K. Morgan was in the Situation Room in Toronto last <laughs> night. Is, is that right? <laughs> it's no, very possible. No, but you, uh, you touched on exactly where I wanted to go next. Joe... Adam mentioned the offside call in game one, Colton Sisson, quick whistle game six. Uh, I mean, this doesn't get any better towards the season and it gets even magnified as we're, as we've spent the entire podcast talking about this right now. Do you have any confidence at all in the NHL that they're going to clamp down on this during the playoffs? Or do you foresee a season getting decided because of an errant puck and a goalie interference call? Well, I hope that doesn't happen. It has happened before, um, you know, with with Hull skating the crease, Dallas, and I. You, I mean, you're going back 20 years, but I mean, you know, there there have been instances, and I mean, I still don't understand. I hate the 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 offsides on Su, the Subban goal that was wiped away. I hate the whole the fact that you know it's an offside that was like a minute before the shot. But but regardless, that's how the rule is. The assistance thing, it's an unfortunate human error. It's one official, and that's the. It, Look, the, is the puck covered or not? It's last night. It's that. It's so many times. It's such a difficult. It is hard. You have to acknowledge that. It is difficult to know. Is the puck actually covered and controlled by the goaltender, right? So it's very possible. I think if there's one thing that we would hope is that at some point here in the next week, the league, I know they just talked about this recently, but it's like what? Just like weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't long ago, but I mean, Come up, you know how obviously calls change in the playoffs too. A lot of things go out the window that are called in the regular season, mm-hmm. which again is something that I hate about hockey. But we, that's a whole other different podcast. Yeah, but I mean, but you know, you're used to it though. It's something you're used to every spring, right? right? So right. you okay, you kind of expect that. I would, I would love to see some sort of clarification, some sort of meeting, discussion, something, and say you know, at least they're going to try to keep this within this framework for goaltender interference. Because if it's, if we see calls that are all over the map in the postseason, like we saw during the regular season, it's going to be magnified 10 times and it's going to, it's going to overshadow what we should be talking about. One thing that I would love to see in the NHL that I believe both the NFL and major league baseball have is the ability for a pool reporter to speak to officials after a game. Yes. Now, it, it, it just makes it so much, it, it, it makes it so much clearer, you know, to hear from the official who made the call as to why something went one way or the other. Now, the NHL, you know, doesn't, doesn't have that policy, like the, the leagues that I mentioned. But that would be, I think, a tremendous help in helping to help fans, media, understand what these officials are thinking of when they're huddling on the ice or, or, or surrounding an iPad with a headset on. I really wish the NHL would allow officials to address a pool reporter so that their, their information can get out to the public in a way that it can at least attempt to explain. It may not help. It may not assuage anybody's concerns, but at least it may, at least it should help in explaining what officials are thinking 
as they're as they're doing their job. Well, first of all, I fully agree that with the NHL and in general, officials need to be more accountable. After games, I've always believed this. I mean, look to me if there's if there's a concern, we talk about conspiracy, but the bigger concern is always. Look, gamblers know that officials can determine the outcome of the game. We've seen the Tim Donahue thing. If you guys think Tim, if anybody thinks Tim Donahue is the only uh, official of a sport who who you know has gotten involved in taking money to you know to change the outcome of games, I mean you, you know you're very naive. So I think officials being individually accountable is something we don't have enough of in college and pro sports. Of course, the funny thing is, Adam, if there was a pool reporter last night, they would have to call up Toronto. You know, so that, <laughs> that's another problem with this whole system the NHL has right now. Right, because as you mentioned, Joe, the rule states that in the final minute of regulation in an overtime in both the regular season and the playoffs, the situation room in Toronto has the sole authority of initiating video reviews that otherwise would fall under the jurisdiction of coaches' challenges. So if that play would have happened in the second period, the Panthers would have had to initiate a coach's challenge for that to be reviewed. Otherwise, the call would have stood as a goal. But because it happened with under a second left, not just under a minute left, under a second left, the Situation Room had the authority to look at it. They made the decision. They obviously saw enough to overturn the call because that's what you have to realize is that when a call is made on the ice, if a review is initiated, there has to be clear evidence that the call on the ice is incorrect. So there had to be clear. So the Situation Room felt that Victor Arvidsson clearly interfered with Roberto Luanzo. That's what they had to do. If there was any ambiguity to what they were looking at, they would have ruled it a good goal. But they felt as if though there was enough to overturn it. So, yeah, that would require finding the phone number for the situation room, which I don't think is public, but <laughs> maybe it should be or not because they would probably get a lot of threatening or prank calls. Going back to Roberto Luongo's reaction on that, I mean, they he was just so defeated and knew that he let that in. Luongo, historically, has been one of the, the quickest goaltenders if he thinks that he's getting interfered with or that the uh, player is in the crease. He will rightfully go to the officials. And I was watching the Panthers broadcast because I was curious what their announcer said. And they, they were, were stunned. They were, yeah, they were like, well, they, they scored. What that, that we're going to overtime. And then when Tim Peel made the call to say that the goal was, uh, overturned and it didn't count they were like oh my god can you like we'll take it but wow wow <laughs> but switching gears just a little bit adam um one of the things that i was thinking when i was watching that game because the predators did play a very good game i don't know if i've ever watched a team where i consistently think they're gonna tie it or yeah they're gonna win this game because they when yossi scored that amazing goal backhander right in the slot you knew this game was going to overtime and really the game was supposed to go to overtime. If they win against Washington and clinch the central division in the West, this is just going to be a bad memory and a bad footnote in the season. But this should give Predators fans confidence, at least forget the overturned goal call, that they were able to tie this game at the last minute, like we saw them do in the playoffs and last year. And like we've seen them do all season. Well, it's interesting when you look at how that game was going. So they scored. So the Panthers get that second goal to make it 2 nothing, Roberto Luongo was locked in. He was stopping every shot and doing so in spectacular fashion in some cases. And it just, it just didn't feel like Nashville's night. And then I, I'm looking at my timeline, and there was a lot of worry among Predators fans that this team 
is slumping into the playoffs, that they're not playing with consistency, you know, that it doesn't matter, you know, that if they face the Jets in the second round, they're going to get creamed if they even make it to the second round to begin with. You know, things of that, a lot of defeatist attitude amongst Predators fans out there. And, you know, I, I, and I disagree with that. You know, have they been playing their best hockey over the last couple of weeks since their point streak ended? No, they haven't. But they haven't been playing terrible. They've had some good games in there. I thought the Tampa game was a good game. I thought the San Jose game, for the most part, except for maybe part of the third period where the Sharks were, were swarming, they played a good game. The, the shootout victory against Minnesota, another good game. I, I think that they, there are good games in there. They're not slumping necessarily. But when you have the success that the Predators have had all season, you certainly get spoiled because this team has put on displays of sheer dominance. You know, the game that sticked out to me more than any other is the game you're going to have to go all the way back to December. The game that they won in Vancouver, I believe it was 7-1, to one. it was unfair what they were doing to the Canucks. And when they're playing like that, I don't think there's a team in the NHL that can beat them. But even in their, some of their losses, I mean, the, I know that they led three separate times in that game against Winnipeg in Winnipeg on the 25th of March and lost. But, you know, playing the second half of a back-to-back, you know, bouncing back from a tough loss the following the previous evening in Minnesota, I thought it was a good game. Overall, I still think they're playing solid. You know, I still think there are some problem areas that they need to, you know, to clean up on. But I agree, John. Once Roman Yossi scored that goal last night, I was convinced that they were going to get another one. I just didn't think it was going to happen with points six seconds left. But I did think that they were going to tie the game and at least force overtime. And Joe, you've watched a lot of teams and a lot of different sports. Does this team say championship about them, even if they don't like win or anything like that? But do are they able, in your mind, from what you've seen so far, are they able to rise up? get back to the Stanley Cup final, win a championship. Oh, no doubt about it. It doesn't mean that it will happen. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, I'll, I think everything that we've seen about this team, starting with last postseason, and, you know, you look at, first of all, some dominant performances, Pecorino, incredible run, but also they did have some, uh, you know, thinking of a Forsberg late goal against Chicago, I believe, in game three. I mean, they, they had some huge moments where they were in peril and they came back and of course just going out to Anaheim after losing Johansson I mean all those things uh, to me have carried over to this season then they've added pieces and and again every time they need to they go into Tampa and you're like gosh that Buffalo game that's big trouble and now look they're they're in some trouble here maybe maybe they're not going to get it and then they go in there they weather that second period storm where Tampa Bay was all over them Pecorine, you know, or, or I'm sorry, UC Saros was, was huge in that period. And, and, you know, come out and just win a game like that. It feels to me like they always have a response. And I agree with you, John. I can't think of many teams where you just like, yep, they're going to figure out a way to do it. They've done it so many times this year. You could look at that. You could look at the Blackhawks last year when they got swept by the Predators. People were like, think about all the close games this team won. They didn't play that well. They didn't dominate. They found a way. Patrick Kane made some play. Jonathan Tavis made some play in the third period, and they found a way to win. But they were kind of a paper tiger, you know. But I don't think that's what this team is. I, I I think this team is like you said, Adam. When they have it all going, I think they're the best team. So we'll see in the playoffs. I mean, many a best team has not won the Stanley Cup playoffs. It just it, it could lose in the first round. But 
There's nothing I I see here that set, that is a red flag. I, I just I think you've got to be confident going to the playoffs with this team. I give them about a three percent chance of losing in the first round. Yeah, it's yeah that would be a stunner. Yeah. Now now you get to the second round, it's Winnipeg. To me, that's a Stanley Cup final worthy series, and who knows? Yeah, and Adam and I have talked before about, and Adam, I believe your uh, opinion was that their best chance to I guess lose is going to be if they play Winnipeg in the second round, and whoever wins that series is going to represent the West in the Stanley Cup final. Was that correct? That is correct. I do believe that is the the Western Conference final master rating is a second round series. Hey, we've had look at the we've way had that, that with the Eastern Conference yeah. the past couple of years. Yeah, that's right. Nice system, NHL. Yes. <laughs> since we're well, ripping the NHL actually, today. Yes, yeah, but outside of ripping the NHL, I think this is now a good opportunity to discuss the first. We have, I think, a good enough sample size now to discuss the first three games of Ellie Tolvanen's NHL career. Uh, made his debut against the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday and played on Sunday and as well as Tuesday. Uh, had his first three shots on goal in the NHL last night in Florida. Had a couple good chances of those three shots. You know, I, I was not at the game on Saturday, so my first chance to see him live was on Sunday. I was actually impressed with him on Sunday because I don't know if you can necessarily rate his debut accurately because of the situation at hand with Victor Arvidsson leaving the game because of injury and Scott Hardinal being ejected for boarding. Those losing two forwards you know, mixed up the lines and, and, and ruined the rotation a little bit. And, and Ellie Tobin, I don't think, had a chance to really showcase his talent. But I thought he played a quietly effective game against Tampa. I thought he was at his best against Florida. I thought he looked good. Uh, I guess I would be curious for both of your opinions on and how you think he's looked in his first three games. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I guess to me, you know, from watching on television, I, I finally noticed him last night. You know, like you said, he had his first three shots. I thought he made a couple of good defensive plays. He had, he tried this little wraparound move. It didn't work, but it was like, yeah. wow, trying that move in the NHL? Okay, so maybe the 18-year-old's getting a little bit of confidence. But I this is, I don't know, it's so early, and I, I think you have to expect an adjustment period. But I, I think you saw a little difference last night. Yeah, and confidence, I think, is, is the key. And one of the things that you always look at when uh, not only rookies come into the NHL lineup, but they come from other places like Europe or the KHL or something like that is getting used to that game. And sometimes there's a little bit of um, a smoke and mirrors. They may score in their first couple games, but then it takes some time to adjust. Or kind of what it seems like Tolvin is doing right now, it takes him a second to adjust and then by the time that he gets comfortable, plays, you know, five, ten games in, he'll he'll have his legs about him and maybe hopefully we'll be seeing what he was doing in the Olympics and the KHL. But I think that the way that he's starting right now, where again, Adam, not really putting too much into the Buffalo game, but seeing him kind of progress in each one of those games and kind of be a little bit more noticeable bodes well for the Predators going into the playoffs because, as we've mentioned plenty of times before, we're not expecting him to light up the world or be a motor that pulls the team into a Stanley Cup final or a Stanley Cup, but you do want him to be that complementary piece that can help with that depth and that secondary or tertiary, if we're using a big word, scoring, and I think that he's on track to do that. I agree, and you look at the way the Lions have been able to look with him in it because of the success that Craig Smith had in Tampa on Sunday with Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson, the Predators kept that line intact. And Victor Arvidsson comes back into the lineup in a third-line spot with Ellie Colvin and Nick Benino. I mean, when you can have players of that caliber on your wings on your so-called third line, that speaks to the depth of your team. 
And I, I think the Predators are comfortable. I asked you a lot about this after the game in Tampa. Because normally with a teenage player, you know, I, I, you know the, the, the most recent example for the Predators would be Sam Gerrard. You know, when, when Sam Gerrard made the Predators out of training camp, they did so and let him know that you are not going to play in every game. They were cognizant of the nine-game limit that you were allowed to use before you burn a year of your entry-level contract. They wanted, they wanted that adjustment. They wanted to take time with that adjustment. But Peter told me that he is a lot more comfortable throwing Ellie into the deep end, for lack of a better term, than he would a typical teenager because of his varied experiences. Because he played in the KHL, he wasn't just playing against boys. He was playing against men and did a good job of doing so. Now, of course, the quality of competition in the NHL is higher than that of the KHL. But the KHL is widely considered to be the second most competitive league in the world. And he was able to have the best under-19 season in, in league history. So it's going to take a time, as we've talked about multiple times. But the Predators are not afraid to put him in those situations because they know he's been able to handle it on big stages, whether it be the Olympics whether it be playing in the longest game in KHL history in the playoffs, which went five-plus overtimes, if I recall correctly, you know, World Junior. You know, Ellie Polvinen has a ton of experience that kids his age don't have. You know, there are special teenagers who go right to the NHL and succeed, like Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel or Austin Matthews, but not everyone is like that. Ellie Polvinen's path is unique, and I think, as I wrote last week, that that unique path is going to lead him to success in the NHL, but... Overall, I'm, I, as you mentioned, John, I'm at where I thought I would be in terms of his debut. He hasn't wowed me yet, but as Joe said, he looked very noticeable in the ways that you want him to be noticeable for the first time last night. All right, and we are very quickly running out of time. Next week, we are going to get together to uh, discuss the Predators' first-round playoff matchup and predict all of the incredible playoff matchups that are going to be coming. I love the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs because you never know what can happen. But real quick, both of you two, there are still nothing decided. No playoff matchup has been uh, finalized yet. The Predators can still play a number of different foes. They've got Colorado, St. Louis fighting for that last wild card spot, and I believe there's a chance that they could play both LA and Anaheim, though it's very fading. slim. It's yeah. fading. I want before we go, you guys, who are the Predators playing in the first round? Your predictions go. Yeah, I'll go with St. Louis. I mean, they've got Chicago twice. They do go to Colorado, but they've got the game in hand, a point back. I think, you know, I, I know the Blackhawks, you never know those Blackhawks could get them. But I, I think that they'll step up and respond. They did not play well against the Capitals. And again, they really had to have it home. And that's exactly what I was going to say, because the Capitals were coming off a back-to-back game where they clinched the division before that. They had nothing yeah. to play for. They were resting some players. Like, it's yeah. not easy to get from Pittsburgh to St. Louis. Exactly. Like, and, it's not, it wasn't like they were coming from Chicago. They were coming from Pittsburgh. That's not a, that's not a quick turnaround. But the abs are banged up, and I, just, I think St. Louis will respond. They've been very up and down and streaky, but I think they're going to recover from that and get it done this week, and I think it'll be Pred St. Louis and a grinder of a first-rounder. I'm going to go, just for the sake of disparity, I'm going to go with the Avalanche because they do, they, as you mentioned, a huge game between Colorado and St. Louis on Saturday, which will obviously decide the order if one of those teams doesn't make the playoffs. So the Blues have a game in hand, which I believe they played this evening uh, against Colorado, who, as you mentioned, lost Semyon Varlamov uh, for the rest of the regular season, I believe, and um, Eric Johnson for six weeks. But 
you know, the, the, the Avalanche lost a tough game against the, the Ducks a couple nights ago. I believe they were leading 3-1 and lost 4-3 in overtime. But we saw earlier this season Jonathan Bernier can play some solid hockey uh, in, in net when need, when called upon. Like he was real, I think he was in net through that entire 10-game winning streak that the Avalanche had earlier this season, which, of course, the Predators matched later in the year. I do think that the Avalanche are going to are going to sneak in. I, I think they may keep St. Louis out of it. I think that game at home in Denver on Saturday will loom large. I think the Avalanche, on the back of the, of the MVP, in my opinion, Nathan McKinnon, are going to win the that game and win the uh, win quote unquote the eight spots in the Western Conference. It's based a team that they've lost ten consecutive games to in the Nashville Predators, but that would be a great series, I think. You know, the, the, the top line matchup of Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson versus Landis, Scott, McKinnon, and Rottenen would be fantastic. Our dear old friend Colin Wilson will probably score 15 goals. Um, it would be a fun series, I think. It, it would be different. It, it's not St. Louis. It's not Anaheim. You know, we've been there. We've done that. Let's go somewhere else. Let's. I think that would be fun. You just want to go to Denver. Who wouldn't? Well, you yeah, do too. Place. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I as much as <laughs> as as much as I want to be the contrarian and you know do some backflips on why Anaheim's going to slip to the wild card number two. I'm I'm going Colorado. I just have a, a gut feeling about them, and I agree with you, Adam. That would be a more fun of a playoff series to watch uh, as a hockey fan uh, than watching the Blues kind of grind out and muck it up and all that other stuff. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for stopping by the Catfish Corner. Uh, we will talk next week when all the playoff matchups are set. Adam, have some fun in D.C., uh, your old stomping grounds. Um, I'm sure that it will be a blast over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, say hi to, I guess, everyone for me. I, guess. I don't know. But awesome. <laughs> we will, we'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Joe.